we are lucky to live in times where we can access all knowledge known to man at the tip of our fingers. Just by listening, we can learn valuable information that our ancestors would have fought wars for. But what use is having all this knowledge if you don't apply it? That's what we're about. We're a couple of young Aussie blokes hailing from Sydney. We love learning about how to improve our lives and get the most out of it. But we've come to the realisation that there's no point knowing all this without any action. So our message is simple. First listen, then do. Learn, and then apply. Take action. We are the Listen and Do Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Listen and Do Podcast. This is your host, Lawrence, and I'm here today with my co-host, Drew. How you been, man? I've been good, man. Can't complain. Just uh, the daily grind. That's it. Uh, today we do have a special guest on. We have the managing partner of the HDQ accountants and also a part of the Australian Tax and Business Mastery. We have Stephen Quach on. How you going, man? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, glad to be here. Sounds good. Yeah. So I brought you on because um, you're, my, you're my go-to tax and business guy. And part of this yeah. podcast, uh, we're trying to uh, get out of the rat race a little bit. So uh, a, a nice topic that I'd want to discuss with you would be to um, just go through a few things like that you would want to know when starting your own business or starting your own side hustle. Um, because we know, or I know that you are running your own thing at the moment and you seem to be doing pretty well. So uh, just going to throw a few questions at you and then let's get your insight and your professional opinion on things. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Alrighty. Um, let's go through a few things first. Um, so I think the most basic question that I'd think of is just how do you start a business? Like what's the simplest way to just get going? Yeah. Well, the most simplest way um, is just to you know run as a sole trader so basically, you can run a business through a variety of different structures, right? But the only thing you need to get started is ABN. Um, you don't even need to go to see an accountant uh, to get an ABN set up. You can get a uh, set up for free uh, at the government website. It's abr.gov.au. Um, and it takes probably about five minutes. So you skip all the ads because uh, the first thing you see uh, when you put into Google ABN registration, there'll be some sponsored ads. Um, with companies charging you um, to set up an ABN when it's actually free. Uh, and if you go to account it, um, there'll be a fee as well. Um, and that's primarily for just time and labor. Um, so yeah, sole trader would be the most simplest option. Um, you would have a few structuring uh, options such as like, you know, um, a trading trust or a company or even a partnership if you have other people involved. So it really depends on your situation. But if you're just starting a side gig, um, you know, uh, on the weekend uh, by yourself, a sole trader um, is probably the cheapest and fastest way to get set up. All right, sweet. So sole trader. Um, okay, so once you, do, well, the big thing is, do you need an ABN? Yeah, yeah, you definitely need an ABN uh, because when you're in business, you'll be issuing invoices, uh, whether you're, um, selling services or products on your invoice, you need to quote your ABN number. And that's how um, people know that you're dealing with a legit business. 
So often, you know, if there's uh, unregistered businesses um, on, on the invoice, you, you won't see an ABN. Um, that means, you know, that's some money lost uh, that's unrecorded. Uh, fair enough. So you can't really do a dodgy, can you? Yeah, well, you know, like there are a lot of uh, black economy, they call it, um, cash businesses, mainly restaurants, um, are, you know, the big offenders. Um, so, you know, if you did a job on the weekend, um, you didn't record it, they gave you cash, you didn't register ABN, how, how will anybody know, right? Yeah. Um, so if you want to get set up properly, um, which I would advise, uh, register ABN. Um, and that way it's pretty good as well because in the first uh, year or so, um, you'd be incurring all your setup costs. And, you know, all these losses that um, you incur in the first year, say you don't make a profit until the second year, they actually carry forward. So it's pretty good to even uh, just register the ABN um, and on your tax return, say you spent, you know, 10000 in setup costs, um, you can roll that over um, to offset uh, the future income in the next year. Hey, Stephen, is that why a lot of businesses tend to do cash only? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, a lot of restaurants, particularly locally, um, you see they don't even have an FPOS machine. So you, you already know what's going on there. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's mainly the older crowd. So, you know, once you travel closer and closer to the city, all the millennials are just using card. So there's no escaping the system if you've paid by FPOS because there's a, there's a proper trail. Whereas if you're doing business cash to cash, um, whether it's recorded or not, you, you wouldn't know unless the auditor came in and you know, they had a physical look at your business. Uh, what kind of assets do you have? And that's, that's how they would know. So potentially a business could um, not declare or cook the books essentially and um, like, you know, make it advantageous for themselves. Is that, is that right? Or is it like something that they're running a risk of and, you know, they, they, there's some like regulatory requirements that they need to meet? Yeah, well, you know, uh, this is basically tax evasion. Uh, because they're not recording the cash sales. And, you know, the ATO does have a black economy uh, task force, they call it. Um, and, you know, they, they try to figure out these things and they have like benchmarks of uh, kind of expected costs and uh, ratios for businesses such as restaurants. Um, and if they fall outside of those benchmarks, then they normally get uh, reviewed. Right, right. So if you don't meet those ratios or you're in line of that range, then I guess that would um, like create a few red flags from their perspective. Yeah, so just basically outside of uh, the expectations, it's benchmarked based on everyone on the industry. Um, so the data, the data matching is getting pretty good. Um, the, ATO knows, the ATO knows more than you think, uh, and they'll slowly uh, know more and more. So, you know, we're going towards a place where accounting is uh, getting more important, you know, it's not, it's no longer your mom and dad businesses. It's more like your second generation, you know, tertiary education taking over these businesses. And, you know, they, they have the know-how, um, they review the numbers they understand the numbers and they take it to the next level. Um, that's, that's a lot of my clients of the younger generation inheriting uh, mom and dad's business. Oh, fair enough. Sounds. Ah, sounds like I can't do a dodgy. All right. No, that's good. I'm glad I'm talking to you so we don't get um, put in jail or something in the, in the future. 
Um, if I were to start a business today, um, what are the basics that you would recommend? Like what type of records do I need to keep? Uh, do I need to track my profits, my losses, all that kind of stuff? What do you recommend? Yeah, so basically from a record uh, keeping uh, perspective, all you need is just a simple Excel spreadsheet, um, you know, recording all your income and recording all your expenses. Um, if you went as a sole trader, basically at the end of the year when you do your tax return, um, you would work out the profit and loss um, of your business and that would either add or subtract from your salaries and wages from your primary uh, salaries and wages uh, from your work. Uh, there are a few rules. Uh, so say that you didn't make any income but you incurred a lot of losses. You can't actually offset that uh, business loss with your uh, employer salaries and wages income. So say in your first year, for example, um, you made a loss of $10,000, but there was zero income recorded. Um, there's special rules that say, you know, you can't use this to offset your salary and wages income uh, for the sole reason that uh, a lot of people, they, they started hobby businesses, um, you know, like DJing, uh, plant farms, you know, just like random stuff where you can incur lots of costs and basically they bring down their salary and wages income and in turn paying less tax overall. So the only thing you need to keep track of is profit and loss. So keep your receipts. If you know you have a business bank account, which you can set up with your ABN, um, the bank statements are enough um, and you can just translate that data into uh, income and expenses. Sounds good. Um, if going back to the, um, the linking of your bank account, um, do you recommend starting a new bank account just to be a business one, or do you recommend linking your ABN to a, like your current use one? Yeah. So I think it's best to just set up a separate bank account under the ABN that you register. This is just cause it keeps things clean. And then, you know, if you ever get audited, you this clear separation between personal and uh, business, even though, you know, when you're a sole trader, the line can be blurred. Um, and even if you use your own card, it's not like you can't claim the expense just because you paid um, out of a different bank account. You can always capture that in as well. But it's just good to keep it separate uh, for bookkeeping. Fair enough. Um, and just one other question before. Uh, you stated that you can't claim tax back on like your initial loss. If in the next year I make a slight profit due to my business, would I be able to claim last year's loss on that year? Yeah, so there were a few tests. Um, they're called uh, non-commercial, deferred non-commercial loss rules, which basically stop uh, people opening hobby businesses, as I mentioned before, so one of these tests would be the profit test. If you wanted to utilize those losses, you would have to uh, run a profit three out of five years, um, for example. Or another test is you have to have income coming in of at least 20,000. Um, so say if you uh, had income coming in of 20,000, your expenses was 50,000, you have a $30,000 loss. Uh, in that case, you would pass those, uh, one of the tests and you can offset that 30,000 to subtract from your other income, your salaries and wages. Yeah, so you can read up on the ATO. 
Um, it's called deferred non-commercial loss rules. Yeah, I always find myself um, just randomly looking at the ATO website. It seems like they have like articles or just web pages that cover any kind of topic. So it's pretty handy, but I think, you know, coming from the perspective of someone who's not um, like trained in accounting, a lot of the time the concepts can be a bit confusing, even though they do try to make it easy to understand for the lay person. But yeah, um, yeah, just, just an observation of the ATO website. They seem to cover every single kind of scenario. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely helpful. Uh, I had a client come in today, just do a simple individual tax return. Um, she pretty much basically did the return herself. I was just clutching in the numbers and, you know, agreeing, um, checking that everything's right. Yeah, nice. Okay, I guess that makes your job or your day uh, easier when that happens, but that's probably not always the case with clients. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, you have a huge range, but like generally the younger, the younger ones are pretty savvy. Um, they, they read first before they come in, whereas the old, the older clients, they, they have like a blind trust in the profession, you know? Mm. Mm. Sure. I just want you to handle it for them. Um, exactly. Make their life easier. And I guess like also the older, just uh, maybe just generalizing here, but um, maybe their businesses are a bit more complicated or a bit more established because just because they've had more time to grow their business while, um, you know, there might be a lot of people who are just starting out and maybe their returns are a bit more simpler, whether it's in their business or whether in their just PAYG um, based um, income. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, you know, the older crowd, they're, they're normally established. They've, uh, they've done their time. Um, and they, you know, they're kind of just getting ready for retirement. So they're, yeah. they're not too worried about, you know, how the business is performing. Because, you know, if, it's, if it's, it has been in business for the last 20 years and it's a restaurant, a local restaurant, it's not like it's going to go out of business tomorrow. Um, so, and, you know, they're, they're going to retire in a couple of years anyway. So they're, they're not concerned. They'll probably just sell off the business or pass it on. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, over to you, Lawrence. I know you prepared a few questions if you would like to ask Stephen. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I do have a few questions. I uh, just hope there's enough time for it. Uh, okay, so what are a few things that we should keep in mind when opening a business? Like, is there anything specific in terms of like the tax that we need to know about or um, is it just focus on your service or product yeah so i mean the the thing that drives your business you got to really understand that so i think we can use my accounting firm for example which is a service-based business right what's the key driver the key driver really is the staff and the quality of work and you it's not something that can be replaced easily uh, so as long as you focus on that you always get customers but further from that, um, taxation-wise, I think every business owner should at least understand how the taxation system works. Um, I have had a lot of tradies come in, you know, they're turning over 100, 200K. They're still structured as a sole trader. Um, they don't really know, they, they don't even understand, they just come in and sign. Um, so I, I take the time to teach them about the taxation system. Um, you know, for example, you know, if you're making over 200,000, you're going to be on the, the highest tax bracket paying like 47% tax when you could just open up a company, 
um, pay yourself around 90,000 and then cap the rest at the company tax rate of 26 and a half, uh, 26% and then take it out when you really need it. So, you know, some, some structures don't really make sense um, and it's often overlooked. So to continue on with that trading example, I've, I've dealt with even developers who, you know, they don't really even have an accounting software. And then, you know, I asked him, how do you check if your invoice is paid? And he tells me, hey, I look at the bank statement and then every time a supplier calls him, you know, like, have you paid this yet? He opens up the bank statement, spends 15 minutes going down every, every line looking for if he's paid that one bill, you know, uh, and it, it really adds up. So he should focus on what he's good at developing. If he doesn't want to get involved in accounting, that's okay. Uh, but he should still uh, have the financial literacy to be able to navigate his financials, um, even if he outsources the preparations to a bookkeeper or an accountant, right? Um, I think the third thing that every, I think pretty much every uh, small business owner um, gets confused with, you know, I want to pay less tax. Let's check the reality, right? If you are paying tax, it means you're a profitable business. So that's, that's good. If you're paying tax, it's good. Um, so never pay for something that you don't need. Never pay for something just to reduce your taxes, but you really don't need it at all. So the saying I always say is cash is king, tax is secondary. So don't even think about the tax consequence um, when you're running your business. Uh, only buy things that are crucial. So Stephen, that kind of uh, the first thing that came to my mind when you said that is, um, and you reminded me of it, I, I listen to a lot of property-based podcasts and one is called The Property Couch and they're, they're pretty uh, tax savvy and um, like they're, they're really interested in that field. One of the things that they said was just that, you know, exactly what you just said, Stephen, um, if you're paying tax, um, you need to kind of get over that mindset that, that this is a negative thing because you need to take a step back and realize that you are making money, you're earning a profit, whether you're a business or whether you are um, just an employee. So it's not always a, yeah. a bad thing. And just also regarding that, I was going to maybe as a follow-up kind of question, um, do you mind qu just quickly touching on um, your thoughts on negative gearing? Because a lot of people like to invest in property and it may not necessarily be the best investment for them, but they'll choose to go with a certain type of property because it is um, something that reduces their tax, but it may not necessarily mean it's the best um, yeah, yeah. investment for them. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when you're looking at purchasing an investment property, what, what, what return are you looking for? Are you looking for capital appreciation? Are you looking for cash flow, right? Um, most properties, when you buy them at a really low deposit, so let's say my investment property, for example, right? Um, I bought at 800K, um, I'm on 10%. And as a chartered accountant, I don't have to pay loan mortgage insurance, which is great. Um, I've locked up 80K to control 800K investment. It's negatively geared, but you know, it's, I'm holding an 800k asset basically for free because it's rented out. So negative gearing, I think, is good as long as you choose the right property, right? Um, but really, the property is market. The property market is pretty hot right now, so you probably end up overpaying for anything. Um, but you know, as everyone says, time in the market is better than timing the market, uh, which I believe as well. I, I bought 
I think at the end of 2019, when property prices were pretty high, um, I paid over a hundred K over the, you know, the suburb median, just because it had a corner shop. And, you know, I wanted that property to potentially open up a second office one day. Um, So, you know, that, that was worth paying a bit of a premium for. So that, that property is negatively geared for tax. Um, It does bring down um, my taxable income and I do get a little bit of a tax benefit uh, from that every year. So I I think it's good. I do it myself. Um, And I even run an interest only loan. So cash flow wise, I'm not locked up because it would be a cash flow negative uh, property um, if it was principal and interest. Um, So basically anything I have excess, I basically put it towards my non-deductible debt, which is the office that I'm currently working at. So yes, negative gearing could be a good option. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, sure. Now you first. I was just quickly just commenting on that. Um, Yeah, that was a really like hot topic. I know we're not a political podcast, but in the last election, that was one of the contributing factors, I think, to Labor losing that election because of their stance on negative gearing. Yeah, anyway, over to you, Lawrence. Yeah, no, I just wanted to say um, the, the thing, even though I don't really understand negative gearing, um, the main thing I got out of that is you invested in a property that you think you're going to use in the future for your business. So at the end of the day, you're still focusing on putting money into your business, not looking at this as a tax deduction, which is awesome. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, well, I mean, if you think about it in the way where you know, even if the property market doesn't go up, it doesn't go down, it stays still, right? Um, I'm holding the asset for free. So, you know, it's, it's pretty much the same as holding it in cash if it doesn't go any direction. So it, it is a win-win. Yeah, fair enough. All right, sounds good. Um, I've got a few, well, I asked around for a few extra questions um, and a lot of people came up with a lot of tax-based questions. So I'm going to kind of swing over to that side for a bit. Um, so a common question was, uh, how much or how much do you reckon you'd need to earn before considering consulting with a tax accountant? Yeah, okay. Um, I would be more concerned about, you know, how much wealth you control rather than how much you earn. Um, but, you know, if you're earning... Um, over the 140k you're close to the the top or you're over the top tax bracket then you definitely should see an accountant Um, what i'm seeing these days is a lot of um, old money getting transferred so really regardless of uh how how much income you make you know kids are inheriting a couple mil worth of property so that's that's when you would need an accountant i would think um how much wealth they have rather than how much income they earn uh but yeah Anything under over 100, you should at least consult a tax agent or accountant um, just for some help and review. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um, another question I got, which was really interesting to me, was um, Is there any benefit from paying off HEX? Because I had a mate who said they got some tax deduction by paying the HEX off. And on the other hand, I've heard that HEX is the best debt you can have because it doesn't accumulate interest so you should just hold it as long as you can uh, what are your thoughts yeah exactly so hex is basically the the best loan you'll ever get in your life 
it's uh, only indexed. I think it's at like one or two percent. It's basically nothing. So personally, um, I'll only pay it back through compulsory contributions. Um, some people do pay it off early just to help their serviceability when they're going for uh, mortgages. Uh, but that's, you know, when their parents, you know, just kind of feed the money. Um, <laughs> not all of us are as lucky. Uh, but yeah, so basically my belief, only compulsory repayments. Don't do any voluntary repayments because, like, for example, if I was to repay my loan of 50000 uh, which I could in cash today, what's the cost of me, you know, leaving that 50000 as a 10% deposit in a 500K house or even just 50K in stocks at 8% per year? So that's a 6% difference that you could be making per year rather than locking up, locking it up in a, you know, a loan repayment that they don't even expect you to repay back um, ASAP. Fair enough. Easy done. So, so there's no, ta- there's no uh, benefit for tax or anything. You don't get like a discount or anything if you pay it back. Yeah, no, there's no tax benefit, but maybe your friend was referring to um, paying some courses up front. So say, for example, if I was a uni student and I had an accounting job, right, um, and I wanted to claim my accounting courses, and if I paid for those accounting courses in cash up front, then that would be directly related to my um, generation of income. So in that case, I could claim um, my upfront uni fees on the accounting uh, courses. But if you hex them, you can't claim them. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you, Stephen, on that. Just I, like based on the personal finance books that I've read, um, like you yeah. know, the classics, Rich Dad Poor Dad, by Robert Kiyosaki, and things like that, um, and even like the Australian ones, I think Barefoot Investor uh, by Scott Pape. Uh, these books always advocate, you know, for these loans, and especially in the Australian system, CPI index so one to two percent. Why would you invest in something, or sorry, pay off something when like the opportunity cost is you know, the stock market, like you said, eight to 10% or property market. Um, so yeah, like hundred percent agree with what you said there. And it's good to hear that as well from like a qualified accountant, because I think it just reinforces it. Um, so regarding, I guess, investing in general, um, and especially for young people who don't run um, small businesses, they might just be uh, nine to five workers. Um, what are some of the ways that they can go about, you know, minimizing their tax? Um, I guess it depends on how much income they earn. Um, maybe it's not a factor when they're still not earning that much money, uh, relatively speaking. But, you know, if you buy some shares, uh, index funds, or ETFs, or if you maybe you bought your first or second investment property, what are some ways while you're still um, not in the high income bracket, but you're kind of like an average income earner um, or a low income earner? Um, to minimize tax if possible. Yeah, okay. So basically, if you're an employee, um, there aren't that many ways to reduce your taxes, right? So basically, when you go to do your tax return, you're going to either look for some deductions um, or, you know, you can salary sacrifice. That's basically your only options, right? And if you salary sacrifice, how it works is, um, say if you had 70,000 income without salary sacrificing, right? Um, you'd be paying like 30, so 34.5% tax per dollar, right? Uh, you're in that bracket. Um, for the rates have changed this year. So that's just a rough figure. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you went into super, 
super contributions get taxed at 15%. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's instant tax saving. And, you know, you could go and look at schemes like first home uh, saver scheme, uh, where you can actually top up your contributions and then take it out to buy your first home. So the government's pretty good um, at giving us lots of those schemes. Um, and you can even keep in mind that, you know, if you're going for a property, even if you bought something uh, small, um, you might get the first home uh, stamp duty exemption as well. So there, there are a lot of options out there. Uh, so I wouldn't be discouraged. I think that it just matters how much you save at the end of the day. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Well, that's good to know. Um, and it also just seems like, like, so my general takeaway from this conversation has been that if you are in the high income bracket, then definitely consider um, speaking to an accountant about restructuring. And even that example of earning 200K, pace of 90, and then sit 110 in the company, um, th- that was really interesting to hear that. And then also, um, if you're a business owner, then I think it would make sense to definitely, like, you know, reach out to an accountant and focus on what you're good at and get the account to handle those sorts of things because it seems like it is a bit of a headache and a, a lot of stress and day-to-day record keeping maybe even. Um, so yeah, seems like an area that um, the more diligent you are, the easier it is for your accountant to handle or for yourself to kind of explain how your business went to the accountant. So yeah, not, not many receipts that you're trying to track or find over the course of last year. Yeah, well, that kind of role is changing. It's no longer, you know, just looking backwards um, looking what it was, it's, it's more uh, advisory based, you know, like, hey, mm. uh, I want to buy another branch. Can I afford it? Um, yeah. What's my tax going to be? Because taxes, you know, tax is tax. You know what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So you can plan ahead. Um, you can manage how much money you have. And, you know, a lot of these private groups, they have multiple entities. So you, you just got, got to look at where all the cash is sitting and whether it's efficient or not. Uh, what else could you be doing with the cash? Okay, so it seems like it's very like, yeah, structuring based as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I guess like um, to close off, uh, I'll just revisit that uh, the low income uh, question. So basically, if it was me, I was earning 70000 I wouldn't even bother investing. You know, it, it is a good option, but rather, you know, gain some skills, change your job, because what's the point of investing if your income is caps, right? And that's, that's sort of why I went and started my own business as well. Um, I used to work corporate. I worked corporate for five years. I did pretty well. You know, every year you've got to beg for a 5 to 10K pay rise, right? You know, why not start your own business if you're good at it, you know? Um, if it's within your means, you have unlimited earning potential. And yep. you don't, you're fully in control. You don't make money. It's your own fault, right? So I would invest in skills if uh, I was a low-income earner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said, definitely. Uh, definitely um, incorporating that growth mindset into yourself. Yeah, I like that. It's a nice way to end it. Lawrence, um, any other questions from yourself, mate? Yeah, beautiful. Um, yes, we've taken a lot of your time, so let's um, quickly sum this up. Um, so... Too long, didn't read. What are your top three tips for anyone starting a new business? Just focus on making the money. Um, Accounting is important, but don't focus on that too much. Just, you know, just start. Basically, you know, once you start, the first year is always the hardest and then it kind of gets easier and easier. 
um, as you set up the processes. So I would encourage anyone who even has um, a little bit of thought into starting a side hustle, uh, I would encourage them to work at it because the rewards definitely come. There have been months where, you know, I've been killing it, making over 10K per month. There are months where I make a couple hundred, you know, like December and January weren't too nice to me. And it was quite, you know, discouraging. But at the end of the day, it's rewarding. It's definitely worth it. Perfect. Beautiful. All right. So where can we find you? Where can we get into contact with you? Yeah, so you can find me on Facebook. I've got a Facebook group, uh, HTQ Accountants. Uh, basically, my initials, uh, that's what it stands for. And I also run a Facebook group. It's called Australian Tax and Business Mastery. Um, and I made that group for my clients. So I post there uh, every one to two weeks um, and try to upskill um, and educate my own clients. So everyone's welcome to join at free of cost. Yeah, I've actually seen some of your um, your talks and it's it's actually pretty interesting, like just free info and it's super helpful. So I really recommend people go and check out his Facebook page. Um, we'll definitely leave the links into the show notes. Um, I think that's it for now. Um, thank you for spending your evening with us. Um, any final thoughts, Drew? Um, I think like besides accounting and tax planning aside, um, what I've taken from Stephen and the way he speaks is it just seems like, you know, have that growth mindset, look to invest in yourself. There's a definitely a, um, like a hundred percent agree with if you are self-employed, you know, things are uncertain for sure, especially at the start as well. But it seems like that ceiling of begging for that five to 10 K incremental increase in salary is now gone it's all up to you and the more time you invest in yourself the better the returns will be so yeah well said Stephen and good to hear that as well from someone who runs their own business yeah yeah definitely perfect all right so that is the listen and do podcast uh, I'd like to thank Stephen again for coming on uh, very insightful and uh, if everything goes well, um, look forward to having you on another episode where we can talk about some more uh, business and accounting kind of stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Lawrence. Have a good night, guys. Right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning to the Listen and Do podcast. We've got a lot planned in the upcoming year, so you can keep up to date with what we're doing on our Instagram and Facebook pages at the LD podcast. If you like what we're doing, please leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Thank you for listening. And now it's time to go out and do.